you ready? Steady. Welcome to Startline. Every journey is different, but they all start with Startline. We're here to edutain you about the world of dog agility. The sport has changed rapidly in just a few years we have been a part of it. Join us as we discuss our journeys, share our successes, laughs, and failures. We will be joined by special guests, and our hope is for you to help us grow the sport we love. Episode 8. Go. Hey guys, it's Michelle. And Kara. And today we have a special guest host, Meg McCarthy-Cataldo. Welcome. Thank you. So we thought we'd bring Meg on to the podcast today to talk about a variety of different things. Yeah, so we thought we'd bring Meg on to talk about um, just some different journeys along the way. So Meg has started in agility as a junior, and she has been on the AKC World Agility Team now twice, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So that's awesome. So definitely thought we'd bring her on just to talk about going from basically a junior to world teams and some of the challenges along the way, some of the inspirational people that you've met. So I guess let's just get started with uh, your novice A dog, how old you were, how you even started in agility and what got you hooked on it. Yeah, sure. Well, so I guess to be fair, I started with a novice B dog, even though I was a novice A handler. So I was in about seventh grade. I was like 11 or 12. And my aunt was a golden retriever breeder at the time. And she had been for many years. Uh, She did a lot of confirmation and she did some obedience. Uh, And then she started dabbling in agility at a local club. And I started following her like every week to go to class because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And back then I remember agility used to be on Animal Planet and they had like the great outdoor games and some other random TV shows that featured agility. And I watched it as a kid in middle school and I was like, I have to do this. Like, this is the coolest thing ever, but I didn't have a dog. So um, I really was kind of stuck. So um, my aunt had, oh God, probably like six Goldens at the time. Um, she had litters, you know, a couple times a year. And she very generously offered me a golden retriever puppy. And I politely declined, which I think she was really surprised about because he was like a free puppy. Um, And I told her I had done all this research. I had taken books out of the library at school and I was convinced that the dog I needed was a Sheltie, like Shetland Sheepdog. I like had the book, like brought it everywhere, had it at home. Like if I could make a PowerPoint, I probably would have made like a PowerPoint (laughs) presentation. You you became breedist at the ripe age of 11. 11. (laughs) There was no other dog for me. (laughs) So at this um, at this agility club that she was part of, there was a woman there, uh, a friend of ours, actually, who was a, a Sheltie breeder, and she had a few different Shelties. Um, and she was kind enough to let me run her dog, one of her dogs, for her in class. Well, to be fair, first time I ever ran a dog was at a show. Wow. Like an outdoor, <laughs> an outdoor Westfield trial somewhere <laughs> back in like 2001. And I had never actually run agility, but I'd watched it and studied it, you know, from afar. What level, um, and the, what level was that run? It was novice. She was okay. novice okay. B, <laughs> but she was, she was registered to this woman. So it was a novice B dog. And it I was know, a, but still a, to throw, yeah. I was picturing you going into a master's level course. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute, I, that's even more I, amazing. <laughs> 11 year olds, like no fear. <laughs> they were like, do a front cross. And I said, sure, like never done one. It's fine. Like I'll figure it out. I ran, the dog actually won first place. And oh, I was like course. so excited because there were ribbons and like, I got to keep the ribbon. Um, <laughs> and, and so I was like instantly hooked. And from then, um, I kind of dabbled with this dog a little bit. Um, she let me run her at other shows. And that summer, 
she actually uh, gave me the dog. Um, so she was looking to place her. She was like five. Wasn't a great fit for the home, but was a great fit for me. So it was like match made in heaven. Uh, it, she looked exactly like the picture in the book I had in the library <laughs> of the Shetland Keep dog. So I was like, sold. <laughs> She's mine. And then ever since then, so 19 years later. See, still that's, there. that's what I wish. And I know they tried with the ESPN um, thing that they did where they brought agility to it because they were trying to get more women viewers, which, okay, I get, but you've got men already watching ESPN. You needed to advertise that. Whatever. We won't even get into that. But I wish <laughs> there was agility on Animal Planet or, hey, ESPN, who's showing cherry spitting competitions. And I kid you not, my husband watched a slippery stair competition where they lube people up, men and women, and they have to climb up these <laughs> stairs that are sort of foam. And the first person, I am not joking. So the fact that they're showing that or lawnmower races where somebody breaks their ankle, that was like the big deal. They're showing that and not showing agility where we all collectively have years. I mean, four-legged flicks could provide enough for probably short money. <laughs> I just, huh. so I'm glad that you have that outlet. But for people that don't have that outlet, Feel free to ask any of us to share any of our videos. <laughs> we will gladly show you what agility is like because that's how you get hooked. You see it and you're just or you watch how your dog learns and you're just you're in. You're in. And I feel like if a, more juniors or any juniors rather than just going, I see some go to the show with their aunts and they think it's so cool. Or I went to Ohio and brought my cousin and his kids to a trial and they were fascinated they were then talking about you know that they don't own a dog and they were like what dog should we get they ended up settling on a french bulldog so we just left it at that <laughs> but <laughs> not that they can't do agility but you know not not the easiest novice dog so anyways i just you know i wish we had more televised versions of of what we do because i think that's paints a really good picture so please everybody don't just watch westminster confirmation there is the televised Westminster Master Agility Championship and that's fun to watch so we have to we as handlers need to let our people know the public know about what opportunities there are to watch and share your videos keep sharing them you know we might see them every weekend but you guys should be sharing them <laughs> I think that's a really good point because I, I don't know if I necessarily would have been hooked in the same way or I wouldn't have been exposed to it um, and I, I have desperately tried to find this video or this show that I watched back then, like, you know, 19 years ago, but it was an, it was something on animal planet. And if anyone knows what it is, please tell you guys, like, yes, tell us. please do. It was, it was this incredible thing where there was an obstacle course, but there was like multiple like levels. So like a handler would be on the second level of this course and the dog was weaving in the course below totally not agility. Like we see it now necessarily, but it was like the coolest competition I had seen and I'd never seen dogs do anything like it before uh, and it wasn't cartoonish it wasn't you know goofy it was hardcore it was fun it was fast and like as soon as I was exposed to it I was totally sold so I agree I think we need more you know more televised content but then also like portraying our sport as it is you know it is competitive it is fast it is gritty and like these dogs are athletes, these handlers are athletes, and the things that we're doing should be respected and they should be seen as a sport, which, you know, I think we've been fighting for for a long time. So would love to see more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and I'm trying to think back too of when I first 
because I I'm trying to think when I first got exposed to agility, I feel like it was something similar. Like I saw it on TV or something because I had no other way of knowing about agility. So I feel like it was through TV, probably around the same time, just seeing it on a show and or seeing a video somewhere and thinking, wow, that's awesome. Because I never, you know, I wasn't blessed enough that I actually was in like 4-H. I wasn't in anything like that to really get that exposure. But yeah, I feel like it was the same thing for me. Like I saw it somewhere and I was like, that that's it. I love dogs. This is it. And for me, my had to get dog was a Jack Russell Terrier, which ended up in a lot of other issues. <laughs> they teach you a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. If I had seen any of that on TV as a kid, I would have been right in because my mom was really cool about we always had to do something extracurricular and she chose ballet for me at a point. She knows this. I would have rather have done gymnastics, but (laughs) then I, I got to choose horseback riding, which I loved. But had I probably known about agility, I would have done it because we always had a dog and we always had a capable dog. I mean, at a beagle, not the easiest dog to train. I had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. I had a golden retriever. I had a rough-coated collie. They're, they're, these are all dogs that I could have at least learned agility with. So, yeah, I'm slightly jealous of you guys that you got exposed to it. And I hope that, you know, more people get exposed to it. And it literally is addicting. I've started to, whether they like it or not, call our fans agility addicts because that's what we are. And I hope that's what you become because it's it's a socially responsible sport in that you're out exercising with your dog. You're out being social with other people. You are, it's dedication. It takes a lot of training before you can even step foot in a ring unless you're Meg and can go out there as a kid and just run a course <laughs> and win first place. I'm just saying the options are there. You might not need any training. Just go for it. <laughs> so no, but in all seriousness, I think I, you know, I'm biased, but I really just think it is a well-rounded sport for anyone of any walk of life. And there are people from every walk of life doing agility and every age group. So, but we certainly could use younger age groups. And that's why I think Meg was telling us uh, you were part, you went to the camp, the BJAC camp. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, there's a great camp that takes place uh, in the summer. And I I believe they're adding a second or have added a second um, on the, the West Coast. It's historically happened in Pennsylvania on the East Coast once a year, but I think they're expanding. I don't know what this year's technically would look yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. but it's an awesome program um, where, you know, juniors uh, from all over the country kind of come together for four days and they're working with, you know, multiple instructors uh, over varying, you know, degrees of experience and, and levels uh, to, to get exposed to agility in a, you know, a really awesome way. I would have died to have done at that same age. So I was spoiled to be able to do agility at 11, but if I had had the opportunity to go to these camps and like work with some of the, the instructors and, you know, team members and, um, like medalists, I would have fangirled so hard. Like I used to go up to people at dog shows (laughs) when I was in middle school and have them like sign stuff for me, which (laughs) I still have, like, I still have a hat I used to wear that Alicia Calhoun signed for me because I thought she was the coolest thing on the planet and she was like my hero. So I think these kind of opportunities where you get, you know, a lot of young people together with their dogs, working with different handlers or, you know, different uh, coaches and trainers, they get exposed to a lot of, you know, great ideas and great concepts that, you know, 
regular handlers or not regular, I guess, uh, older handlers don't necessarily even get to, to experience. So I thought it was a, a, you know, a great learning opportunity. I really enjoyed it. I don't get to work with a lot of kids when I teach, um, you know, primarily my students have been a little older, you know, our normal weekend warriors. Um, so it was great to see these kids really engage and be excited about the sport. Uh, because, like you're saying, they are the future of it. So it was great to be able to be part of that. We'll be right back. Hey, Agility Addicts. We'll get right back to the episode, but I wanted to take a quick minute here to remind everybody about the Power of Positivity fundraiser that is happening at houndsofheck.com forward slash nominations. Please go there. Remember, if you can't, you don't have the means to donate, that's fine. You can nominate, you can donate, or you can purchase. So they really need our support. We're still in this pandemic. And I just wanted to remind everybody, this was from our previous episode with Grace and Stephanie. This is the Hounds of Heck Power of Positivity fundraiser. So please go check it out. Go make your donation or nomination, whatever you can do, because we all can do something as pandemic. Please go and do it. Thanks so much. And let's get back to the episode. Yeah, that, I mean... It's where it starts. I mean, there's nothing saying that somebody that's 60, 70 can't just start. Uh, and I think it's popular. The sport's definitely popular with a lot of empty nesters. They've done an amazing job raising a family. Their children go off to college and they look on their couch and they're like, huh, I have a dog. Let's go do something with that dog. And they do. And that's amazing and awesome. But that the we need to, we all know that we need to breathe a breath of you know, new air into the sport because the AKC, for example, one of the organizations that runs agility has been very smart and tactical and they've added classes. So while agility has technically grown, the size of the, uh, the handlers, the participants has the exhibitors has not actually grown that much. We've just started to enter more classes. So AKC is making a bit more money off the same people. So the novice A dogs, those are the, we've discussed those before, those are the dogs without a title, they, they're lacking. And so if you're sitting there, this is, again, something to do during my favorite word, the pandemic. Look, <laughs> look around. I mean, if your child, summer camps might be canceled, that doesn't mean that there isn't a very appropriate and very affordable foundations agility class. I mean, Michelle and I were showing you that you can literally wrap a dog around a vacuum. I mean, there's, you can do so many things. So I, you know, I just want to encourage everybody to kind of get out there. And, you know, Meg got the bug because she watched TV. I hope you get the bug because you're trolling Facebook and you're friends with one of us and you see it. I know many of my puppy buyers, I breed every two to three years, probably five years at this point. My puppy buyers, you know, I'm very particular about who gets one of my puppies but I also they all watch the videos and they all go home and they try and do stuff and they ask me I help them find classes nearby and you know I'm helping all of them do little things at home because a boxer is a boxer is a boxer it likes a job you know some of them might like agility some of them might like nose work some of them please do something with your dogs but if you want something that's fun and rewarding and just addicting try agility Yeah, you know, I think I think when I when I first started, well, when I had my Jack Russell Terrier that I eventually did get whole other story and all of his behavioral issues, but when I thought about doing agility with him before I realized he would eat the world if I tried, I was setting up things at home where I literally just found things out on my mom's deck and I was like, "Oh, look, like I have like this little toy 
basketball hoop thing from when we were children and I would lay it on its side and I would just use it as a jump and I would use it as like a mini dog walk as a little balance beam. So he did his own little home agility and we found different things to do. and We made it work, but it's so true that you can just do these different things with these dogs and then, you know, use your resources. And there's so many more resources available now than when we all first started on how to get started in agility. So it's definitely definitely something to consider especially now when we find ourselves with more free time and the school kids who unfortunately aren't going back to school for the rest of the year you know they have they have that time now to to look into doing those things with their dogs and and all that so great great discussions about getting some juniors into the sport and then so so meg anything you can tell us from just basically jumping into the course and learning agility and i know you some people that you got signatures from but anybody else in particular that like really inspired you or any kind of lesson struggles you know maybe your first weekend of not getting the first place and kind of you know some of those things that kind of happened along the way for words of encouragement and as you kind of progress and eventually went on to the world team twice yeah um a lot happens in 19 years of (laughs) being in a sport so I, I can totally look at it now uh, retrospectively and see sort of this, you know, almost like a roller coaster of, you know, ups and downs and waxing and waning and stuff like that, of being super involved and then kind of, you know, pairing off to go to college and, and things like that. But I would say when I was young or younger in the sport, I was really inspired by a lot of our local competitors. So I will call out Julie Daniels as one of them because I used to obsessively watch her at USDA trials and I was so like desperate for her to like watch me run. I remember being like, you know, that awkward 12 year old who was kind of like, you know, hint hinting, like, did you see what I did? Even though you know, <laughs> I was running a 12 inch Sheltie who had ETO before we kind of knew what it was, um, but it didn't matter. Like I, I thought it was the, the coolest thing. And, you know, anytime you placed or did anything, it, it felt like the best feeling in the world. I will say that you know, back then, especially being younger, there was only a handful of junior handlers competing in this area at the time. One of them was Delaney Ratner. So like she and I were some of the younger competitors in the area. And we were really welcomed. And it was really, you know, a great experience because everyone kind of, you know, was encouraging and appreciative and and welcoming. And no matter what you did on course, they were always, you know, super, you know, uh, supportive and kind and helpful. Um, So I would think probably around uh, 14 or 15 is when I um, became uh, friends with Paulette Swartzendruber. So she was a Sheltie breeder as well in the area. And she was competitive uh, with her Shelties, but also with flat coats. Um, And she lived the next town over. So I started bringing my Sheltie to her to be groomed. um, And then it kind of grew into um, a training friendship um, in a coaching friendship where she really helped, you know, kick my butt in gear <laughs> when needed, which was often as a teenager. <laughs> um, so she was a great uh, resource and a great inspiration, you know, for, for a lot of the formative years of my agility career. And she is the a pivotal reason to why I think I stayed in the sport. She's, you know, the breeder of Bolt, uh, my dog that was on world team. So I definitely give her a lot of kudos and credit for for sticking with me and dealing with it you know a teenager who was probably a pain <laughs> more often than not <laughs> but yeah I, I I think you know again though there were there were periods where I think being a junior in particular it's difficult to balance out like the social life aspect the school aspect along with 
trying to train your dog and compete on almost every weekend. I mean, especially, you know, back then our show season was a season. It was like summer uh, or spring to late fall, maybe. Um, and we were showing outside, you know, very consistently almost every weekend. And so it was, you know, a balance between managing friendships and trying to go to school, you know, dances and you know, <laughs> keep a social life intact, which, you know, wasn't always easy. But um, I don't regret that for a second. I think having agility and having dogs and responsibility and um, managing that, you know, part of my life at that time was probably a really beneficial thing for me. Uh, it gave me a lot of structure. It gave me a lot of responsibility. And I didn't feel like I was missing out on a lot of that stuff. But um, it definitely was a balancing game. So I think by the time I, I went to college, I had kind of, you know, taken a step back from being as competitive. And, you know, when I graduated was kind of the time where I re-entered the show world and, and really kind of recommitted to, you know, what the goals were going to be and, and what I planned on doing. So I would say that world team was always in my, like, on my radar, <laughs> but it really wasn't attainable until I was able to commit a little bit more time and energy uh, towards working towards it. So that was around the time when I, I connected with Paulette and, and Bolt came into my life. And so that was when the, the dream really kind of kicked off was, was around uh, right after college. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about your, your journey getting to world team and, you know, how much training and all, you know, going through the tryouts, how many times did you have to try out before you got onto the team? So kind of share a little bit about that whole exhilarating experience twice <laughs> of getting onto the team. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then becoming the assistant coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like three times. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, we'll put an asterisk on 2020 for now, but well, you, made, you made it. Yeah. It, it unfortunately, thanks to the pande- pandemic, isn't pandemic. happening this year, but it still counted as you made it. Definitely counted. Like, we all made it to nationals. We didn't get to go, but we qualified. Well, yeah, exactly. Yep. God, I don't actually even want to count how many times I tried out necessarily. Because I, I did try out with my dog, Nike, who was my, my middle child at the time. Um, so he was my second dog uh, that I had ever trained in agility. And he was the first one I trained foundations on. And I think I brought him to tryouts probably three times if not four. Um, and I will say that we finished spectacularly in last place, probably two out of those four years. <laughs> so <laughs> we gave it a real hard try. I will say we were not that deterred. Um, I'm not sure I came away with one clean run over the four years that I tried out with Nike, but he was a fantastic dog to learn with. He, he overcame a lot of challenges himself and so I, I found it really rewarding that he ever ran agility in the first place he was a dog with a ton of fear and anxiety you know to the point where in like day-to-day life he was afraid of parked cars and you know fire hydrants or, or trash bags like you know he found something to be afraid of in a lot of aspects but with agility he really latched on to that and um, it gave him a ton of confidence and so inside the agility ring, you'd never know. He ran fast, he ran confidently. And it was it was really exciting and really rewarding to watch. And I, <laughs> one story uh, I will tell is that he was so anxious that I, I used to have to give him rescue remedy to, to travel. And so um, my first year of going to tryouts with him, I, I like kind of loaded both of us up with rescue remedy because I was so anxious. <laughs> and by the time we got to Hopkinton in Minnesota, 
he um, had explosive diarrhea. Oh. Like, all was great. Oh, no. And <laughs> to the point where it had actually, like, somehow made its way out of his crate and into Linda Mecklenburg's crate. Oh, oh no. my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I remember it being announced over the PA that Blue Merle Shelty had had, you know, and it was all over the crating area. And I just was mortified. I think I was, like, 17. I was, like, oh. almost in tears. And so Paula and I had to mop up, you know, this crate. <laughs> we apologized to Linda. She doesn't even remember it. But, like, for me, it was, like, such a mortifying <laughs> experience. And then we, you know, we finished the weekend off probably in second to last place. So still, undeterred, I was like, I'm going to make World Team someday. So <laughs> maybe not with this dog, but in the future. And so uh, I had, you know, worked with Nike. Still, I had taken on um, a new puppy probably a couple years um, after that. Uh, which was Bolt, and he was, you know, <laughs> he came out of the womb fast, uh, <laughs> came out ready to run agility, which was fantastic. I um, call, so just so you know, my husband and I joke about it, we call Border Collie, Shelties, and Papillons preloaded with software. They come yes. preloaded with 100%. agility. And I, that's not to downgrade anyone's training. I know a lot of training goes into it, but it just seems that they kind of know what to do a little bit quicker than other off-breed dogs. Yeah. I will I will definitely give him some credit. He, you know, if you watch his novice run, like his, his novice weekend debut, he's basically, he ran the same then as he did when we made it to Worlds. Not as finessed, not as clean, you know, not as well. But he had that intensity from, the you know, a year and a half old until now, um, which I always found really, really amazing. So that said, when you have a dog with that much drive and you're not as experienced with working with it, it definitely was a challenge to figure out how to handle that much speed and that much intensity and kind of learn how he thought because it was totally different than the two dogs before him. So it took us, it took us a few years. You know, I also tried out with both, I think two times before we actually made a team, you know, they weren't as spectacularly last finishes like Nike. Um, he kind of was middle of the ground or middle of the road in terms of finishes. You know, he had some spectacular runs and then some less than spectacular runs, but um, every year was a great learning experience, and I always took homework away with me. But then in, in 2016, I think we, we really got our stuff together. <laughs> he was about four, which I feel like for boys is when the brain really kicks in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yes. six. Four, five, six, somewhere in there. Yeah, Walter's four. He'll be five. And we're barely just starting to come together. Like, he has brilliant days and not so brilliant. And... I was going to give up on him until a, the number one male boxer that runs the number one um, agility boxer for AKC. She said to me, I almost, you know, gave this dog back and gave up on him. But once he hit four, it started to come together. I said, oh, OK. All right. I'll give him a bit more. Be patient. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's important because, you know, it was a lot of persistence with him. You know, I knew that we had what it took. It's just that putting a lot of those pieces together took a lot of time. And yeah, to your point, like. He really just needed the time to mature his brain. His brain wasn't fully there yet. And I think us as a team, we were still too green, you know, even those first couple of years where when I was trying out. And so it was good to have the, the couple of years experience to, to take some stuff home and and really keep working on what I needed to work on. But but yeah, in 2016, uh, we went out to California and, you know, he ended up being selected for a team that year. Uh, we went to, um, to Spain with Team USA, which was sort of surreal. I mean, starting as a, a junior, it was like an ultimate goal. I was totally a fangirl. I actually 
just, just threw away my VHS tapes of FBI Worlds from like 1999. <laughs> I found them yeah. cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like something that I really dreamed of for a long time. And so for, to actually be there and to be in that environment was incredible. I know it's, you know, something that's totally not feasible this year and who knows what the you know coming years will, will bring. But I, I always recommend if you're an agility addict and a fanatic and you ever get the opportunity, it's such a good experience to go to FCI world championships just because it really puts the sport in perspective. You really get to get uh, a ton of exposure to different, you know, handling uh, techniques and people. And you realize that it's incredible that all of these people from all over the world are in you know, love with the same sport and they're communicating with their dog in the same way, even though we all spoke different languages and or came from different parts of the world. And I thought that was a really cool sort of, I don't know, experience that I, I had never had before in any other national event or, you know, anything else I had done in, in, in the sport before. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That sounds incredible. I think I think if I remember correctly or if I saw correctly they even start playing music if you NQ, right? And they start cheering people on, you know, they're not, you know, they, they've gone off course, they've been eliminated. They start playing music and they start cheering. And it just seems just from the run videos I've seen, it seems like an incredible atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, it's super supportive. You know, I think everyone in the stands is, is really there for the experience. And so you know, if, if something goes wrong on course and it's apt to happen, the courses are tough, the, you know, pressure's really on. Um, yeah, they do. They, they play they play music and everyone in the crowd cheers on um, and keeps that energy going from the moment you make, a, you know, have a fault till the moment you finish the course. And so, you know, you never feel like the necessarily like the pressure of the crowd, um, you know, or that anyone is sort of rooting against you. It, it kind of is an awesome, uplifting experience overall. I I will say, though, I think in 2017, they played Always Look on the Bright Side of Life as the as the NQ song. And so if I hear that now, it's like PTSD. I'm like, turn it <laughs> That's a negative connotation. That's negative association for you, for dog trainers out there. <laughs> Bad things happened when you heard that song. <laughs> or exactly. So what are some of the challenges that you face? I know that you mentioned, I believe it was with your first Sheltie, you had ETO, which if you want to go into explaining that for everybody and what that is. And I know that's one of, you know, not to focus on the main challenge, but, you know, as, as a competitor, exhibitor, what throughout your agility career have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Yeah. Um, so ETO was something that, unfortunately, I mean, I was exposed to with my first dog. She had kind of a mild affected ETO. Um, she was sort of and one just, of those. Just for everybody listening, sorry, we haven't defined it yet. It's early takeoff. What, do they call it syndrome or what do they call it? Yeah, no, so it used to be called ETS, or early takeoff syndrome. And, and since then, it's sort of been redefined as just early takeoffs in general. Um, there's a multitude of, of reasonings or hypotheses why dogs might have early takeoffs. And so there's a hesitation to call it a syndrome because we're not sure if it's a single cause or multiple causes or, you know, it's kind of a, sort of a more holistic view instead of what we used to, we used to think. And my shelter was starting. Um, we called it ETS. It was, you know, a syndrome then. And a lot of people thought it was because of um, poor training. 
you know, that was like the most common cause that I was told was that she had done some fly ball before. And so that that taught her to jump too early or had taught her to, to not be able to judge distance um, for jumps. And looking back on it, you know, when I watched some of those videos from the earlier days, um, you can see her sort of struggle, almost textbook um, ETO. She would stutter a little bit. Um, she measured jumps, you know, um, before she did a takeoff. And for a while, she had to jump 16 inches. Um, she was just 14 inches at the withers. And so for AKC, she was sort of at that, like, you know, turn or pivot table <laughs> where she could have gone 16 or 12. Um, and so until I got to measure her down um, into the 12 inch class, she was jumping, you know, four inches taller than her than her natural jump height, which I don't think helped. Um, but again, live and learn. <laughs> we yeah. didn't we didn't yeah. know as much back then about it, unfortunately. But you know, she's she still did a lot of great things. Uh, she, you know, made it through. It was excellent B back then. I feel like I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> Back in my day, it was excellent. Back in my day, we went through 44-foot shoots, and we had excellent B, and we ran in a circle for an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we used to go outside when it was cold, and we had scraped ice. I know we've heard which no was true, totally true. It is still true to this day because the two now one remaining, but yeah, the Westfield trial which you were talking about, I still go to every year in September and October, and everyone was like, "Oh, we should have brought the hair dryers out because we're sitting there like breathing on the contacts to try and melt them." Oh (laughs) yeah, yeah. So while while we are still new, some of those traditions of frozen contacts are still standing it makes you tougher it's great yes i i always i tell noreen one of our trial secretaries i was like please always keep the westfield trial because we lost the cape trial we've lost a lot of outdoor trials and as the you know people that have been in jilly forever they said this was a seasonal sport you know you didn't do anything from november to april because Mm -hmm. everything was outside and we love michelle and i love outside trials Neither one of us, I, I think I can say this for Michelle, do particularly well at outdoor trials than we do in indoor. Yeah. But we day camp, the camaraderie. It's We have a blast. Michelle and I figured out these car setups that people started come by and, like, we should have been a walking billboard for Lowe's. I mean. Oh, yes. We had these battery packs and, you know, our space blankets and we had everything, you know. And then, of course. Oh, and our Dunnadracks. Yeah, our Dunnadracks. <laughs> and we learned to rotate the space blankets. Thank Christy McNamara, McNamara for teaching us to rotate our space blankets with the sun. I mean, it was just. There's something fun. If anybody gets a chance to go to an outdoor trial, set your expectations for your dog and your team low because it's a novel, generally not an environment you're training in, except for now. And and just have fun. I love outdoor trials. I wish I wish there yeah. were more of them. I really do. And Westfield's it's just magical. And I've never done well there. Never. <laughs> See, I feel like you're getting to speak through, like, less uh outdoor trial uh experiences that were really hellish so i will just say i agree I want oh i know there's back. ones where you're running through five <laughs> inches of rain it's snowing i watched <laughs> we were in collie club of maine which is another one that we lost outdoor up in scarborough maine and it literally i, I shit you not it literally rained downpoured buckets only during the novice classes I felt so badly for them. These poor novice handlers and their dogs just mopping through this. Oh, I know. I've heard the stories. I know we've generally had luck. But if you do it long enough, you know, there's mud. And I know. But it's still fun. There's Because we don't have them. I guess it's the novelty now where everyone's like, you guys don't know how good you have it now at these indoor trials. I tell you. There are some days where I'm at an indoor trial where it is 
exquisite outside. Like last weekend, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say this on the airwaves. I was not upset to not be at a trial. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I gardened. I hiked. I drove to Western Mass. I fe- Unbelievable. But if I had been <laughs> at an outdoor trial, I would have been happier than a pig and shit. Like it's let's just. Yeah. Agreed. I agree with you on that one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I've heard and seen the stories. I mean, Noreen just posted one from like 1990 something. And she's like. Oh, those jumps. Yeah, the jumps. The one they had to jump 30 inches. The tire was literally a car tire duct taped and she they literally caught a picture of her running in mud and like ready to fall. And she's in like Joe Schmo 1990s tennis shoes, not these, you know, Solomons with the extra mud grip tacky, you know, soles. I know. I know. There's some very embarrassing photos of me in like jean shorts and like sneakers running in a field with, you know, metal junk cups and wooden equipment. But yeah, I mean, we'd never do it now, but it it's something really kind of fun to look back on just to like give perspective. We've really come a long way. <laughs> we have, I watched like a 19, I think Agility started in, well, started here in 1978 with USDA and 94 with AKC. But I watched something in definitely the early 70s. It was Crufts. And the weave poles were literally just set on the ground. <laughs> like, and none of the dogs knocked them over. And the table was like, four feet tall it was yeah (laughs) and the dog walk was very rickety I mean the safety that I I realize it now I you know and I still they still had the shoot when I started so I go back a few years but it's just it's incredible to see people join the sport now because it's safe and it's only getting safer so Mm -hmm. to think about what you guys you know Meg being in at 19 years what you went through with your dogs and yourself is incredible to get us to where we are I've also heard too I've heard several instructors say, man, it's tough to be a handler now because the courses are much harder than when we were doing it. Of course, this equipment's much safer and everything, too. So I guess there's give and take everywhere. But it's interesting to see see and hear kind of the challenges that you know everybody goes through and what you've been through, too. Because, you know, in my short span, I've had challenges. Michelle's had challenges. We've each run multiple dogs now and have, you know, at least three to four agility dogs that each one's been very different. I... I'll, I don't know if I'll ever have another Debbie again. You know, she's spectacular. And I'm okay with that. You know, do I wish that I had known more than I did when I was, you know, younger and started with her? Of course. And that's why we had a, a young woman reach out to us and say, you know, thank you so much for this podcast because I'm learning so much from it. And that's what I wish I had is just the ability to gather as much information as I know now. And I still have a ton to learn. But yeah. I like, you know, I'm very fortunate I get to meet people like Meg at trials. I get to meet John Nyes. I get to meet and train with Laura Dolan. Like, we have access to incredible handlers in this area. And so if you're new or you go to a trial and you see that one person standing standing out, follow them. Fangirl them. 90% of them are, re- are receptive to it. You know? Like, I've talked to some amazing people. I'm like, you're talking to me? You're talking to me? <laughs> And they're like, I'm a normal human being like you. I do happen to be good at agility, but you can talk to me. I'm approachable. So um, and that's something we discussed, too, speaking of being, being approachable. One of the things I like about Meg is you're approachable. And that is something that I beg and plead those in the sport. When you see someone that doesn't know what they're doing or they're novice and whatever, take them under your wing or at least be helpful or say something kind. Because, again... 
we're not going to have this sport if we don't have more people coming into it. And the barrier to entry to the sport is a little intimidating. I will not lie. It can get very clicky. And I felt that way even when I first started. And it was only because my dog got stuck in the chute and the whole crowd cheered her out that I was like, these people are amazing. That and I came from confirmation. Not to knock confirmation, but, you know, they're not so kind all the time when you win because <laughs> they wanted to win. In agility, a lot of us in this very same class are very happy when our friends win. So it's just, you know, I... Yeah, I um. Well, when I when I was first starting out, you know, I've had my challenges with Riley going from no agility experience and I have this crazy dog that loves to run and she's been wanting to go from the get-go. Like I had a lot to learn very fast with her. So we we've, we've struggled. We've we've had a lot of struggles together to get to where we are. Um but I think I was saying on on just the other day we were talking about this and just making nice comments to these newbie teams and these novice teams and how um I'll just throw her name out there since we're name dropping. Uh, Vivian Hudson, she has Cocker Spaniels and she, I mean, she comes in, she runs, she, she qualifies all the time. She has so many mocks under her name. And there was one day where I was just kind of feeling bummed out, just, you know, not getting to where I wanted to. And she made the effort to come to me and was like, you know, you guys are really coming together as a team. And it's really amazing to see the progress that you've made. And that just made everything for me and that just helps push and keep going because you know she didn't know that I was struggling internally and just you know kind of wondering about what's going on and how to fix things and yeah we're starting to come together as a team but we still have our moments and for someone you know who I always watched run and someone who's so experienced it's kind of like that fangirling thing where you're like oh my god you're talking to me like, oh my God. And to say such a nice thing un you know, unprompted is I mean, it's it's has stuck to me stuck with me to this day. You know, and I've had a judge who is the judge that we got our mock under, is the judge that we got our very first novice cue under. Oh, she throw her out there. Throw her out there. Oh, she... Shayla. I love Shayla. Shayla, Shayla Gutierrez. <laughs> <laughs> I got my very first novice cue under her, and I got my very first mock under her. She actually was walking by at the trial where we got our novice cue and she was like, your toller is amazing. And that too has stuck with me. So it's just, you know, those little things, you may not realize it, but those little comments that you make to these teams, to these novice teams, they, they really, they go so far and help and help people out. So it's just, yeah, those, those little, those little efforts, they mean so much. Yeah. I can attest. I mean, I think for me too, especially when I was younger, like I still think about, Julie Daniels at USDA in Freiburg. Like when she acknowledged one of my runs, I was like, done. Okay. <laughs> I'm awesome. Like, and I still think of that now. It's been almost 20 years. So I think you tend to hold on. Well, I hope, hopefully we'll you tend to hold on to those kind of positive things rather than, you know, I, I think you forget about your double, your NQs and you, you know, kind of hold on to the positive things that have happened in the sport in the long run. Um, like I can't really remember any of these, you know, bad runs that maybe were upsetting one day, you know, you're actually remembering what, you know, positive things people said and, and the good things that have come out of it. So I totally agree. I think that's kind of an important thing that maybe we take for granted. We are a small knit community. And so sometimes when people are new, it's hard to, to kind of open up in that same way, but I think we really have to. 
You have to. And that's what makes, that's why I stayed with the sport because somebody cheered me out of a tunnel. And then I had a very similar experience, Vivian Hudson. She is one of the most humble people, quiet. So for her to sit, because she never really says anything, even when she's running her dogs, you'll get the occasional when she calls her dog off court and you're like, whoa, Vivian speaks. And she's, <laughs> she's just polite and humble, but so pleasant. And and then my, you know, kind of my idol became Laura Dolan. And then I started taking classes with her. And then she attends very few trials. But when she does, I would always run harder. And there was one time she noticed. And I end cute. I tried to beat my dog on a blind. And I run a boxer. She's not the fastest thing in the world. I'm not the best athlete either. But I tried to beat her down this line. And I didn't get the run. And I missed it. It was on a premiere course. And Laura came out and still high-fived me. She goes, I know what you were trying to do there. And I love it. We'll work on that in class. And I was like, oh. That means so much to me because you noticed my attempt. And I attempted mostly because she was there because I was like, Laura, what do you want me to put a blind here? And a blind made sense. I just had my timing off. So, you know, and I'll tell you something else. It's fun to be that person for other people. So, Meg, I know obviously because you are to us, but you've been that person for other people. And I've had a couple people come up to me and they're like, you and you run your dog so well. Can you teach me this and that? And I'm like, me? I, what? No, I'm st- no, I'm still learning. <laughs> So I jokingly have become, but serious, a spirit coach. I enjoy finding what people do well and kind of raising their spirits. You know, we have this friend. We're going to throw Linda out there, too. Linda used to get, she's done an amazing job now. She used to get really upset after some of her runs. And we'd be like, Linda, 95% of that run was amazing. You had one error. One. You had 14 other perfect maneuvers. Stop. Just love that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, be that person. I encourage anybody to find someone to fangirl and they'll talk to you. Don't, you know, they're generally approachable. And you might, I've had some people where I tried talking to them and it didn't go so well. So bye-bye. You don't get my time. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in general, most of the people, once you get through, I, I don't know. Can we throw some of this under the New England bus? I mean, I didn't grow up in New England, and New England people definitely are a little tougher to break through to. They're amazing. But, I mean, is some of this New England, or is this – I'd be curious to hear because I've trialed in different states. I've gone to Erie, Pennsylvania. I've gone to Ohio. I've gone down to Indianapolis. They're pretty – they'll talk to anybody there. So, Meg, what's your opinion yeah. on that? <laughs> I am I'm born, raised, competed, you know, solely basically in New England. I oh, mean, New England's like, perfect then. Sorry, I should have asked. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do anything wrong. <laughs> I think I think part of it it, it it probably varies around the country. I think New England is one of those hot spots, you know, like you're saying, there's a ton of competitors here. And there's not just a ton of competitors, but there's a ton of highly competitive people here. You know, we have you know, every year I would say there's at least half of the team that's, you know, being made up that goes to, you know, international events, um, thinking like AKC World Team. Yeah, it's like Grace, John, Meg, Laura. It's like all you guys all go. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of East Coast people. And, and you know, not disproportionately, but I would I would just say I think it's a, a heavily representative part of the country. Uh, so I think that's part of it is and there's a lot of <laughs> I'm throwing myself in this. But there's a lot of old timers like we've been around and, and people have done the sport for a really long time, you know, in New England, too. And so I think that maybe is part of it where, you know, like you're saying, some of it's clicky. Some of it is just comfort. Some of it is competitiveness. But I will say, I think it's a, an important thing to say that you can go up and talk to any of these these competitors or any of these people that you think are unapproachable or, you know, I was I was totally intimidated and afraid of world team members 
you know, <laughs> not even that long ago. <laughs> Because I, I thought I couldn't, you know, add anything to the conversation or, you know, I had nothing I could, you know, bring. But that wasn't the case at all. And and like you're saying, I think everyone out there, we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to get our dogs to the, the top of their ability, the best of their ability, the best of our ability. Um, and so there's a ton that can be learned and shared. And, you know, you know, there's a ton of value in the conversations that you can have with, with all of these people with different experiences. Um, I've definitely learn the most from just talking and watching other competitors that that's honestly when I was really gunning for world team and I was really trying like thankfully I was in the New England area so I had people like John and Paulette and Laura to you know watch and and chat with but um, I also studied a ton of video and watched a lot of other handlers that I really respected or really looked up to and I just mimicked them like I would watch their run and then I'd set up the same thing I'd video it and I'd watch myself and I'm like okay don't look like that at all so how do I fix it (laughs) you know and um and I think that that was probably the best one of the best learning experiences that I had was was that and so I totally recommend it if you have someone that you idolize (laughs) talk to them study them you know and and don't be afraid to, to put yourself out there for it Cool, cool, cool. I awesome. think we should probably wrap this up because we talked for way longer than I thought. <laughs> I know, and we didn't even get to the whole list. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit, a little bit more about ETO because I wanted yeah. Meg to kind of talk a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk ETO if you guys have the time. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm in the pandemic. I got nothing to do. <laughs> but listen and learn. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, so go for it. So I know you've you've learned a lot a lot more about it and and all that. So I think it's really interesting to to kind of just share your findings and just some things that you're learning about it. I know we're still kind of everybody's still kind of learning about it. But you know, if you want to just share that. Yeah. So my first dog, like I said, she had ETO kind of before we knew what early takeoffs were. A lot of it was chalked up to training. Um, we did try to look at her eyes. I think back you know, a few years into her competing, um, we, we did some, you know, eye exams, some early eye exams, and everything sort of came back normal. So it didn't give a lot of credence to the fact that it was something physical, even though it's likely that was what the cause kind of was. And then, you know, I was fortunate for many years to have dogs who didn't have any sort of physical or visual impairment. And so I think I got a little bit complacent, maybe, or a little bit, you know, out of touch with some of that. So I, I for sure saw dogs you know, in our area and around the world who are still struggling with, with ETO. But I, I guess it, it wasn't really until I took on my, my youngest dog, uh, Seeker, that it, it sort of really came back to the forefront. I think there's definitely a benefit and there's a lot of value in knowing a lot, but there's also the risk that we become a little bit obsessive when we know so much. And, and I will say that I could pick up some early symptoms of early takeoff in Seeker when he was just a puppy. Um, And it was a lot of stuff that I think I would have chalked up to puppyisms or, you know, probably would have dismissed if I hadn't been exposed to the sport for so long and had seen so many of those dogs, you know, struggle in the same way. So like, for example, he tended to avoid staircases and you know I hadn't really exposed him to a lot of them because in an effort to preserve joints and bones you know he wasn't allowed to do stairs up until a certain point Um, but when he was of an age where you know he should have been kind of bounding up steps he was either avoiding them or trying to jump them completely 
or he'd almost like fall off them. And I found that kind of, you know, funny in a way because I was like, well, he just doesn't know where his, his rear end is. And I'm like, he's just a puppy. He's floppy. Um, but it became pretty apparent that it was, you know, a consistent thing. No matter how often I tried to stop him and make him take a step or slow him down to do stairs, he, you know, continued to struggle, especially with stairs that had no backing. So I think that visual was even more difficult for him to process. And then in our early foundation training with jumping, you know, even when he was jumping basically bumps on the ground before, you know, he was even jumping height, he sort of was taking off too early on, you know, even things like that, where I could watch video and notice that his takeoff point seemed just a little, you know, too far back consistently. And so it sort of was a red flag for me, even then. I think I was trying really hard to will myself into thinking everything was fine. And um, so, you know, we continued our foundation training as planned. Um, I took a little longer with jump training than I would have probably. Um, so, which was a good thing. Again, benefit of knowing a lot, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, wasn't looking to rush him into to actually doing agility until he was fully grown. But it became a little bit more apparent when he was old enough to start getting jumps at height that um, this takeoff issue wasn't resolving. And it wasn't a thing um, that he seemed to need more experience with. Uh, in fact, the more I jumped him, the more it seemed to get worse or more prevalent, which can be, you know, another kind of common indication. So I will say I'm for sure no expert, um, especially on the medical side or, um, you know, some of the, the diagnostic side of ETO. But I do really think it's an important conversation to have because I, I tend to see dogs who struggle with um, takeoffs, um, you know, either it's not discussed or, you know, I've seen in other cases, people, you know, try to blame training or poor foundations or other causes while ignoring that there might be a physical or visual impairment actually causing the issues. And, and so I, I really think that there's a lot of valuable research that still needs to be done that is happening now to better understand how we can help these dogs. There's of course, varying degrees, too, of ETO. Seeker, luckily, um, at this point, has been able to manage really well despite it. He is jumping uh, at a preferred height for now. Uh, it's just a little safer for, for him. And, and um, I think we'll maybe reassess um, as time goes on. But to be honest, there's no pressure for him to jump 16 inches if, if it's not safe. He's in other you know, an otherwise fantastic dog. He's, you know, really an easy dog to train. He's been so happy. He's so happy. <laughs> <laughs> he is just the happiest. He is, you know, he's pretty, he's joyful, like in everything he does. And so I think that that's made it, even though it was a really, I will say it was a really heartbreaking thing to kind of have to come to terms with. But at the same time, he is so joyful in agility and he's so happy and he's had so much fun um, that it's kind of, you know, made it a little bit easier uh, than I necessarily would have thought. Like we definitely have had to reassess goals and dreams and, you know, change kind of what the goalposts were for him. But I also think that there was a ton of value in going through that and finding a little bit more of that joy of what agility just is without the, the pressure of attaining something necessarily, um, in the end. So really just enjoying the process with him and, it's teaching me a ton. Uh, so there is definitely value in that. 
I can relate to that with Walter. He has no conditions other than being a male boxer. But, <laughs> you know, I bred <laughs> Debbie and in my head I was like, I just made a bunch of other Debbies. And so I thought I would have this. And Walter became my, you know, my next dog that I was going to focus on. And Well, actually Phoenix did, but then she had trial stress. So I was like, okay, no problem. Walter loves agility. And then my goals just shifted. I went from agility grand champion, highest pocking boxer. I was going to have the youngest mocking boxer. This and Now, Walter, get your mock and go do nose work. And occasionally <laughs> enter you in a trial where your friends are because they love to see you. And I think that's a valuable dog and lesson too. Because if we always go to get the next world team dog, I think we might lose some appreciation. Now, of course, that's that's our goals. Like, I, not world team for me, but I invitationals is my thing. And so, it, and being number one within my breed is my thing. But at the end of the day, Walter's number one to so many people that I love that. I love yeah. that. And you just have to always remember to appreciate the dog in front of you. A, they're a pet first. B, the lessons that you're going to learn. C, you're going to you're going to develop and grow whether they are quote unquote better at agility than your previous dog was or not. And I think, you know, for anybody out there that's trying agility and their dog just doesn't like it, don't be dismayed. There's other sports out there. I was really heartbroken over Phoenix because she is my fastest, driviest boxer. She's everything that I'm proud to have bred. But trial stress gets her and I don't know how much more effort I'm going to put into trying to fix it because she's giving me a clear message. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like trialing. She'll always go to classes, but she loves nose work. She loves just being a goofball. She loves beating up Walter. So, you know, really listen to your dog. Obviously try and work with them. I mean, Seeker loves agility and you guys have been able to, I've seen you guys out there and I, you know, part of me is like, didn't she say he had early takeoff? I don't see it. <laughs> but I know, I know. And I have seen it in some of your other videos too. But at a trial, he did really well. And you've also jumped him at a preferred height. And, and there are options that you can do for your dogs. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's important to, to really focus on the dog in front of you. No, totally agree. And I, I think that's been the best, you know, lesson that he's taught me. I thought I had it before. <laughs> and then I think with Bolt, it's like, like you're Debbie, you know, like you have this dog achieve the dreams that you wanted like you know we started a box at worlds and i was like cool next dog will totally be able to do the exact same thing like easy and it's kind of you know giving me back some of that pureness of agility or pureness of training a dog um without the pressure of you know setting up a, a single goal or you know one goal you know he didn't have a ton of drive either when he came home but teaching him to love agility and building some of that work ethic and that you know happiness for the sport has been the best fun I've had in, you know, many years of, of training agility. And, you know, if, if you are struggling or they have a dog struggling with, with early takeoffs, there's a ton of resources out there that, you know, weren't available years before. Um, so I would, I would highly recommend taking a look at, uh, the clean run issue. It came out, I think in 2017, it's a focus on early takeoffs. It's a free, uh, edition of clean run. You can Google it, get the PDF version of it. You have a blog post as well too, don't you? You blog, oh, you blog I about do. it. I have a blog. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a blog. It, it is unstoppabledogs.com. And I, I have chronicled a little bit of Seeker's journey coming to terms with, with early takeoffs and then sort of reassessing goals and, and 
you know, what the next approach would be for him. And, you know, it's not, I think that the important takeaway for me was that I was really, you know, heartbroken to come to terms with it. But I also realized there was a ton we still could do. Um, and there's a ton of ways that you can work with a dog who's, you know, maybe struggling in, in varying ways. So it's, it makes me feel so happy to hear you say that you don't always see it because I think we've worked really hard or I've been working really hard with him to cope um, and to find ways to approach jumps safely and, you know, handle courses safely. I can't be perfect all the time with him, but it's definitely helping me <laughs> be more attuned with timing and, and being more aware of my, what my body is telling him because, you know, he really relies on a lot of my physical cues more than any other dog I've trained before. And, and so, again, I'll take that as a good learning opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, and and just from seeing you, you guys, in the short amount of time that I've been in class with you, and just seeing you and Seeger run, I I was kind of thinking the same thing. I'm like, I know she said he had early takeoff, but you do such a wonderful job, you know, working with him, and I think you've done such a nice job of really like acknowledging it, and it, like you said, it's taught you how to kind of handle and really pay attention to those things, and and it really like. You know, it's the way he's jumping and the way you guys run together is just so nice. So it's it's really cool. So kudos to you for all the work that you're putting into it and all the lessons that you're taking from it. You know, it's not easy to change your goals like that. And and it's just and it's so nice. And, and I'll, you know, seeing him in person and just seeing how happy he is. I just love him. <laughs> he, makes, he makes it easy, right? Like he's so lovable. <laughs> he is so happy. I just I mean really I see him when you bring him over and I'm just like I have to be happy because he is so happy. <laughs> so it's it's awesome. So thank you for for taking the time and talking with us and talking about that cuz I think it's really important for a lot of people to hear, you know, changing the goals and, you know, learning all of these lessons that we didn't anticipate learning. Just when you kind of thought you learned it all before and you're still finding more lessons to learn and you know, it's, it's really cool to, to hear. So. Oh yeah. Dogs will always keep us humble and always keep us learning <laughs> and laughing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think we should say adieu for the evening. Great guys. Yeah. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, this Thanks is great. So thank you so on. much, Meg, for coming on. All right, Agility Addicts, that's a wrap for this week. For more information on early takeoffs, we'll drop that Clean Run article in our show notes, as well as probably on our socials. And we just wanted to thank Meg again for coming on. And as always, our episodes are produced by Michelle and I. We are currently seeking more sponsors. So if you know somebody in or around the agility community or that provides dog products or somebody that you know would benefit from our listenership, please share our information with them. You can find us or email us at startlinepod at gmail.com or startlinepod.com. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day.